Welcome to the Veterinary Business Matters Podcast brought to you by Oculus Insights. Here we will discuss topics related to veterinary business management. From small to large animal, this podcast strives to give you the insight and tools to help you improve your veterinary business. Oculus Insights, supporting businesses where great people want to be. Hello and welcome to another episode from Veterinary Business Matters, the podcast brought by Oculus Insights. And this is all part of our COVID-19 Veterinary Resilience Guide. I'm joined by two of my colleagues at Oculus Insights, Dr. Bob Magnus and Sheila Stork. Welcome both of you. Good morning, Mike, and uh, thanks for having us on board. Yeah, and so Bob is one of the principal partners at Oculus Insights. He owned and ran a large referral practice and Sheila was the operations manager. So both have great experience working in the field, uh, working in practices. They both survived and excelled during the Great Recession of 2008-2010 and both are just really focused on operations and I thought they would be great people to come in and give their input on how do we maximize the cash on hand in our practice. So there's several ways we can look at it. We can look at our revenue and you know and our sales, and bringing in you know that way as accounts receivable. And those of you who are companion animal practices are fortunate because uh, most of the time you get payments at the time of service. Those of us in mixed animal equine are not so fortunate. There's also how we manage our inventory and our relationships with our vendors. So let's start at the top of the income statement. Let's talk about cash. Bob, what kind of thoughts do you have about what a practice can do of any species to increase revenue? Yeah, great question, Mike. And probably our number one concern, will uh, anybody want, want to uh, come to our clinics? And what I've seen happening around the country is pretty remarkable and creative ideas and keeping our, you know, our people safe, our patients safe, and also trying to protect the business. On the sales front, we have people going and dropping off their um, animals, whether they're dogs, cats, or horses, and then staff coming to pick them up and keeping that social distancing and letting them know that for critical patients, urgent patients, and in some cases, routine care based on where you're located, uh, our doors are still open as, um, as they well should be. So what I think is important in this is letting your public know based on the laws and the state's uh, regulations in the location where you live. Letting your people know that, hey, you're open, you're available, and then putting in good biosecurity plans so that you can protect everyone in, in need. Yeah, and I think, you know, in my own practice, we're going through that right now, and we had a bit of a kerfuffle of last week because it sounded like that all that practices needed to be shut down and we were all sort of looking at each other with like alarm and then the government agencies clarified it and so yeah we are considered an essential service we're open but we have put a really strict uh, social distancing rules in place for ourselves internally and with our clients and uh since that's been clarified i think that's you know we're starting to see income come back to us a little bit I also think, you know, this is to me, I don't know what you guys think too, and I know, Sheila, you've done some work with some small animal practices too, is that at least in the, in the northern part of North America, this is usually seasonally when we all get busy, you know, whether it's heartworm and, and ticks with companion animals and it's vaccines and deworming with horses, and this is when we get busier. So hopefully this doesn't impact us 
as much as let's say if it was in January uh, when people were just like it's too cold and I got nothing going on there's just no reason to go to a vet I don't know if either one of you agree with that or that's just my wishful thinking Yes. Good morning, Mike. No, I I do agree with that, especially like in the companion animal, it has gotten away from as much as a seasonal as it used to be. And like you have commented before, you're seeing the trend where they are spending time with their animals. You instantly saw the necessity. There was no question as far as whether veterinary medicine was essential because the clients, you know, they look to their pets right away and the concern, they want to make sure that they get taken care of, you know, as soon as they start hearing questions on what's happening in the community and state and things like that. And the one thing I want to address regarding Bob's comment on biosecurity, the importance of it um, as far as letting your clients know when they call in what to expect when they get there. And letting them know ahead of time that, okay, um, we're not going to have you come in the building, get there and call. Oftentimes, um, you know, we put signs on the door and things like that, but so easy for them to overlook things and starting that communication with them long before they ever get to your practice. Yeah, these are strange times for everybody. So these these are not part of our typical routine. So, yeah, good reminders. That's a great point. And Mike, uh, I'd like to chime in and, and add, if you're a referral hospital, uh, we've seen a lot of the referral practices and clients of ours actually start making phone calls to the referring veterinarians so that they know what's going on at their clinics. So I think as depending upon the type of practice, how can you open up that communication? That will definitely help you with sales. That'll help uh, reduce some of the stress and you know, the concerns that people have because of the unknown. And as we're all living through, things are changing day to day. Every every next day, there's something new, and we all have to be flexible and adjust to that. Yeah, yeah. this is an aside. We're recording this early in the morning, and I got up and ran to my little, um, set up my microphone and all this for the podcast. And I'm like, I haven't looked at the news. I have no idea what's going on, but I'm sure it wasn't the same as when I went to bed last night. So <laughs> I guess I'm going to look forward to after we record this. So let's talk about accounts receivable. So, you know, this is, as I said, even though most companion animal practices, I like to say that they have the good hygiene of collecting money at the time of service and all other uh, species were very envious of companion animal practices. But we are getting into a time period where um, people, as we know, are getting laid off, losing jobs. There's going to be a lot less money, even though they want to do things um, and, and they should be doing things with their animals. I worry, and maybe it's an unfounded worry, but I just think that people are going to be like, I don't have the money on hand now, employment insurance or government assistance right now. What kind of payment plans are you, do you have? Or, you know, maybe I'll see if you'll give me terms. So in light of all this, what are our recommendations for our clients in terms of how we can maintain and continue best practices with our accounts receivable? Let's start with you, Bob, and we'll go to Sheila. Probably one of the number one things is going through your accounts receivable right now and to your point, Mike, really focusing on your policy because you're going to have to adjust some aspects of that policy. Look at those clients, value those clients, and it's a, it's the perfect time to actually fine tune it. If your practice is slowing down, you have that time to dig in, dig in deep and figure out where you stand and then sit down and, and create a small group within your team and say, okay, in the situation where we have a critical patient and the patient can't pay, what are we going to do? So instead of flying by the seat of our pants, which I think we're all pretty good at doing, 
when clients come through our doors, I think now you have to be much more defined so you come across in a positive and empathetic way because that's who we are. But also you can't do things and not get paid. You also still have to protect your business and the people that are on site. So to me, now is absolutely time and it's a huge priority to go through that, create some scenarios, think of things that could happen in your small animal practice, in your equine practice, and say, if this happens, what are we going to do? Get everyone on the same page, have the communication there. It's a challenging time because you don't want to look like a jerk trying to collect money that is outstanding, but still you're trying to keep your doors open to help you know your patients. Anything to add to that, Sheila? You know, what I would say in addition to that, you know, keeping the lines of communication are very, very important. And not only, you know, just now, as far as letting them know, you know, what to expect all the way along, you know, from the time they set up the appointment to going through it, but then following this, you know, we are going to come out on the other side of this. And, you know, it's very important to keep the communication with the clients, you know, the ones that maybe you do set up a payment plan or something like that, and not just, okay, it's set up and we move on to help you know, hold them accountable, let them know, okay, you're working with them, you know, where are they at, and to be sure and carry it forward. Yeah, I think those are some great tips. And I, you know, I always worry about those people when they're going back to their accounts receivables list. And there really is that fine line. I think you brought that up, Bob, about just being a jerk by being too aggressive, yet we need to collect the money. So I think we, you know, there may be policies where we are very strict. And if you don't pay by this time, we're sending you to collections, I think we need to be maybe stepping back, realizing people just may, you know, trying to get water from a stone right now and maybe put together some plans and work with the client. And I think the theme that's coming through this conversation is just communication and opening the channels of communication to make sure we're, everybody knows where everybody, what everybody's doing. So Sheila, I know inventory is a, a special interest of yours. And the reason why we're focusing on inventory is because when you look at all the stuff that we have on our shelves and medication and supplies, you know, the, when we, the stuff that we don't have can be money that we can have in our bank accounts that we could be using to paying debt to help us get through this crisis. Because really, when times of crisis, the more cash you have on hand, the more flexibility you have. So what kind of tips do you have for a practice to um, maximize their cash on hand by having just the right amount of inventory, but not too much? In fear of sounding like a broken record, I'm going to stick with this theme of communication. Um, now more than ever, it's extremely important for um, everyone to communicate and keep your um, inventory manager up to date. You know, in some practices, the inventory manager is not necessarily active on the floor with the patients and may not know um, what to expect, what's needed treatment-wise, so that they can run the minimum amount on the shelf and still get the patients what they need to keep them um, up to date, as well as, you know, inventory managers, it, they need to communicate with everyone and understand, communicate with their reps and the companies to know how are the delivery times affected, you know, what can they expect, because that certainly will impact how they're ordering and when they're ordering. You may, now would be a good time to do more special orders versus, you know, having those items, you know, one or two on the shelf available. It's a matter of, you know, they'll be ordered in special to keep that. Networking is huge right now, not only within the clinic, but with area practices and your reps. You know, let's say you have a large quantity of product on your shelf right now that 
you're not sure that you're going to move. And so one, let your doctors know in-house, you know, maybe it is something that they don't realize and they can uh, use. And then also, like I said, your neighboring practices, your reps, hey, do you know anyone that goes through a lot of this product that you we could possibly help move this product? And the other big thing is to keep in mind as far as on your big ticket items or your short dated items, you know, the quantity on hand isn't necessarily just referring to what is sitting on your shelf in pharmacy, but it also means what is in, you know, all the different inventory locations in the hospital. So you know, someone comes to you, it may be a matter, okay, I need to go, we have some here, I need to go get it from this area of the hospital or from, you know, this vehicle to get you what you need and then restock that way versus always having that gap of supply on your shelf. Yeah, I like the idea of, of you know, bringing in your suppliers. I think, you know, that network and trying to spread things around, I never thought of that. That's a really great insight. Yeah, Bob, do you have anything else to add to this? Because I know this is a keen area of interest. It's also an area because it comes down to financing. So as, as our topic today is preserving cash flow so that you can meet your obligations, reach out to your vendors, uh, see if they can help you with extended terms. Just as we just talked about sales where you may have to give terms to some of your clients, I think it's very fair to reach out to the vendors and say, hey, can you help me? Can we set up a payment plan? Things in which we can, you can weather a storm that we don't know how bad it's going to be. But I think doing that proactively uh, could be very, very effective. And uh, you'll really see which vendors are there to support you and really uh, want to be part of your team and part of your practice. The one thing I learned in, in 2008, 2009 is, you know, going to the vendors. And I think most of them will be very obliging. They get it. Like they realize this is a vicious circle. But I think being honest and transparent with them. So if you say you're going to do something by the 15th, you're going to send them a payment. And for whatever reason, you can't make it. Be proactive. Call them and say, I know I promised you the payment by the 15th. This is what's happened. I'm going to pay you by the 18th. I think if you do what you say you're going to do, even if it's not underneath the terms that uh, like your net 15 or net 30, that kind of consistency and reliability will will go a long way as opposed to, oh, this just is a person that promises everything, never delivers. So why should I bend over backwards to help them? And in much the same way as we would do with one of our clients. So. The last area that I want to talk about and uh, be interesting to get your perspective from the United States is how to handle banks because you know most of us have loans for equipment or renovations you know it's a rare practice that doesn't have some kind of debt uh so what would your suggestions be to talk to a bank bob great question mike and um right now it's just continually changing so we all have relationships with our banker what i'd be doing is i'd i would get on the horn and i would talk to them directly and just say, what are the options that you can help me? Now we have this huge stimulus package, you know, two or three trillion dollars that is being released. But it all those things all sound good, but there's a difference between legislation and when it actually happens and gets to a point where it can help us as a small business. So my recommendation with regard to the bank is to ask them and reach out to them ASAP. It's another high priority. Oftentimes, and they do this even during good times, they'll are happy to say you can pay interest only. They may forgive the interest. Each one's a little bit different, but it's also an example of you know, there are different types of banks. There are large national banks, there are regional banks, and then there are smaller community banks. I've always had really, really good luck working directly with my banker in the small community banks. And 
it's times like this where they need to have your back and need to be supportive. So uh, I don't have a specific answer because each area is different, Mike, but uh, that communication of just talking directly with the bank president and say, hey, how can I do this? And I would suggest you try to do a few things like interest only or deferred payments, different, come up with strategies right now to be proactive for the next couple months, because we all know our biggest expense is payroll. And when we look at payroll, we want to support our staff. We want to keep everybody employed. But at the end of the day, is there going to be enough cash? And, uh, you know, proactive uh, with the banks is huge. Yeah, I actually had a conversation with my banker and accountant yesterday. And exactly as you said, that the first thing they offered was, well, we can waive principal on some loans. Uh, for the next couple months and that, you know, we can increase your line of credit. And I was like, I, I would rather not increase my line of credit because I don't want to take on any new debt in these types. Uh, but, you know, it might be nice to have as a default, particularly if this is going to last a long time. But what made a huge difference for him, and I know I presented it on our webinar last uh, Tuesday, two days ago, was about I did some scenario plannings for the bank. And so I showed him, like, here's a forecast for the next three months. Here's what I expected to do in sales. And I'm going to play worst case scenarios. And I was aggressive with worst case scenarios. So I said, okay, April, we're going to do 20% of what we expect to do in sales. What does that look like? And I said, you know, here's my scenario. I expect us to get a little bit better in May and even better in June. So sales will go up. So at the end of this three month period, this will be how much profit I'll have. This is what I'll owe because I have loans and what have you. And I also did the extra step of saying, you know, the first three months are our slowest months. So we come out of March in the hole and we know that April, May and June are such robust months. We make a lot of our profit for the year then. And he was really impressed that we did the scenario planning. And he said, nobody in, who has come to me of any professionals has done scenario planning to this degree and this will make my case because they all everybody's got to answer to somebody else and he goes having this kind of forethought and very conservative outlines he goes this will make it much easier for me to help you and that was validating on my end but it was something like oh i'm going to remember this when we have our conversation because uh, that scenario planning is is really important and it's if you're not sure what that is reach out to us at oculus and we can certainly give you a hand and guide you in the right direction on that Last thoughts on this. Uh, we're trying to manage cash. A lot going on. The mood is changing. The situation is changing. Any final recommendations, any thoughts before we sign off today? I would jump in, Mike, and suggest that you sit down with your income statement from the end of the year last year. Look at all of your expenses and think, are there things on that expenses that really aren't needed? And um, looking at those things, making decisions, well, what are you going to do? What's the effect going to be with continuing education or with uh, lunches you buy for the staff? Think of all of those different things and say, what are some proactive things we can do? And then communicate it with, with everybody on your staff. If your staff sees that you're really proactive to try to keep the doors open, and to try to support them as their, as your workers, uh, that's going to go a long way, and, and hopefully you'll come out of this much stronger and better than uh, the way we went into it. How about yourself, Sheila? Any last words of wisdom? Ultimately, just follow up on what Bob said and be as transparent with the staff as you can. A lot of the times, the anticipation is what is worse on them and causes the most stress. You know, if they see that you're not as busy, they're going to wonder, okay, 
what's going to happen. We're not as busy. What needs to be done? Get them involved. Empower them. Okay, what can we do? Um, we have this downtime. How can, what are other things that we need to be working on? You know, things like that. Like Bob talked about, you know, are there expenses that they see that they could help with? Things like that. Make them a part of it. Yeah, great. And I think, again, the theme of this is communication with all stakeholders, staff, bankers, clients, suppliers, really get those communications open. As we've all been mentioning, too, we will get out of this. Nothing lasts forever, good times nor bad times. And so what we're hoping at Oculus is to give you a resiliency guide to help you navigate these troubled times. And so I will have the link uh, to the resources in the show notes. I want to thank Bob and Sheila for joining. We are doing our podcast twice a week, so odds are you'll be hearing from them again as the situation changes and we have more things to share. Thank you very much. Have a good day, everybody. And if you have any challenges or you need anything that we talked about today, you uh, want some more insight on, uh, just reach out to us, info at oculusinsights.net. Thank you both. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. At Oculus Insights, we care a lot about animals, but we also care about the health of the veterinary profession. Our goal is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success.